did this week. You remember last Sunday night? How many remember back to last Sunday night? Now, who was here preaching last Sunday night? And what did he preach on? Um, um, a man of God came from Australia, waited on the Lord for a word for us. And have you forgotten already? Making space. What was the chapter he opened up on Sunday night? Well, well done. There's some good students here. People that are listening to what God's saying. And I wonder if you opened your Bible this week to that same passage and thought, okay, Lord, tell me more. Sometimes when you get a, a, a message from, especially from an overseas speaker or anybody that's waited on God for something for us, you've got to kind of get that lolly and suck it. Keep sucking it. Or get that cow and keep milking it. You've got to get more out of it because there's more in there. So that's what I did this week. I thought, okay, he's opened up this passage. Let me just sort of think about it myself this week because that's a good thing to do if you come to church and take notes and at least know the passage. So it was about a Shunammite woman. And I sort of tried to make it apply to what God's saying to us as a church and what's saying to me personally. And I found this so much in this on, on where we're at as a church. So we'll just go back to 2 Kings 4. But he actually picked up halfway through the story and talked about how she pursued that dream that looked like it was being robbed. But I want to go back to the beginning of the story of her in um, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. And it fell on a day. There is a period of time. There is a certain time when there's going to be a new move of the Spirit at a certain place. That's what happened here, okay? There is a season of time where there's a new move of God happening in Hawke's Bay. Who would agree with that? Right, this is the time. You've got to catch the season. You've got to be aware right now, this is the day there's something happening here. So, okay, this is what here. It fell on a day and Elisha can speak of the new move because he came after Elijah, which was the old move, and he's the one that carried the mantle on a greater proportion of that mantle. And just like the early church moved in a whole lot of stuff, there's now a new move happening, and the end time church is going to have far more than what the Acts of the Apostles church are moving in. So this is a new move, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it's happening in this place. So we've got to kind of say, well, what are you doing here, Lord? How does it happen? Now, this um, Elisha, he passed through this place. And in that place, there was a great church called Basin Outreach Center. <laughs> now, whenever you see women in the Bible, sometimes you can interpret the whole thing from the point of view of a church. Because he talks about the woman, the bride, and the church as being a bride, being a woman. So sometimes you can look at this passage several ways. You can look at it as a story from the Old Testament that you read to the children, and it's just a story. Or you can look at it, God speaking to you personally, or you can look at it, God speaking to you, to us as a church. So I'll probably flick in and out of several of those. But at this point, I think there's a great church in this place, and there's a new move happening. And now... Have you heard the word passionate this year? Have you heard the word pursue God, lay hold of God? Don't just let it pass by, but do something. Be constrained and lay hold of something for yourself. Okay, that's what this woman did. There's somebody in this story here, and this word constrained is not a light word. Something inside her heart rose up, and she wasn't just half-hearted apathetic about a move of God. 
She was, oh, it'd be quite nice. Maybe I'll go to church now and again. You'll see some good things happening. She was a passionate woman who was there every Sunday. And not only was she there every Sunday, but she was opening her Bible Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, every day of the week to try and lay hold of what God was saying and doing. That's what we're going to be like if we're going to really get hold of the things of God. That constraint is a good word. It talks about it in the, old, um, in the New Testament. It says these guys were going along the Emmaus Road and they were all depressed and down and everything had gone belly up. And um, God was walking with them. It's interesting that sometimes God's walking with them, but they're so overwhelmed with all their problems and what had happened that they didn't see him. But God's good like that. He lets us kind of pour it all out, pour it out. He just asks them questions. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And they just kept pouring it out and pouring it out. And that's an important stage of actually drawing near to God because you've got to tell them how you're feeling. But after they did that for a while, he revealed himself to them and they realized, wow. God, you've been here all the time. I didn't see you. I've missed it all. But no, he revealed himself to them. And then he made out like he's going to keep on walking. And sometimes he does that. He'll suddenly touch your life in a special way or you'll kind of have your eyes open to him. But then he looks like he's going to keep on moving. You look like that in the... the, um, Song of Solomon, you know, you're looking for your beloved and all the time, sometimes you can't find him, he looks like he's disappeared and you've got to go out after him and find him and lay hold of him. And it says in that story that they constrained him, hung on to him and wanted him to stay with them because they'd actually had their eyes open to a um, whole new spiritual dimension. So this woman constrained him to eat bread. She wanted to fellowship with him. She wanted, and, and it's, I mean, it was her bread. She was ministering to him. She was worshiping him. She was giving to him. She wasn't saying, meet my needs, meet my needs, meet my needs. She came and she sowed into the offering. She came and wholeheartedly offered praise to him. She gave to him because of a heart attitude. I want to look at our heart attitudes. What's in a heart that caused this woman to receive the promise? See, what was in Marisha's heart that God wants to bless her so much? She's like this woman in the Bible. She's seen something in the spirit and she's making some changes in her life to accommodate it. And this is what this woman did. She constrained him to, um, to, to stay and eat um, because she got touched. Every time she came to church, she got touched and she wasn't satisfied just at that level. Just once a week on Sunday, kind of getting touched or maybe once a month. She, um, she knew that um, he often, you know, she often got touched. It was a coming and going thing. And she said, ah, I want more. I want more. I'm not happy with just being touched by the Holy Spirit now and again. I want the Holy Spirit to totally um, stay with me the whole time. You know, we've had visitations of the Spirit. This church has had visitations of the Spirit. We've had times when the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And people have had all sorts of encounters with God. But we want more. We want this place to be a place where God lives all the time. And anybody that steps in the door is hit by the power of God. Hey, a habitation. A habitation. Not just a visitation. I want God to be so in this place that there's miracles every week. There's salvations every week. The power of God is in this place and all the town knows about it. If you want to meet God, you go down to that place. The minute you step inside the building, the power of God will hit you. Yay, that's what we're after. We want something more. We want a habitation. You know why she knew that? Because she perceived. The word that God says, she perceived something. Now, you don't perceive with these eyes. You perceive with spiritual eyes. 
God gave her the capacity to sense and to see in the spirit what was happening because she was spiritually alive. And we've got to kind of wake up in the spirit. You've got to go more than just what it looks like naturally. You might look at naturally and think, oh, it's just a few hundred people here, nothing big deal. But I don't see that. I see that God is about to pour out a fresh move on this place. And when that man, a man from Australia says 1,500 in three years' time, I perceive God's going to bring great increase because I hear it in the Spirit and I sense it in the Spirit. And I'm picking it up in the Spirit because this is what perceiving's all about. You kind of got your spiritual um, antennae up. It's kind of like it, what you pick it up in the Spirit and stuff's happening up there big time. And even if you don't see all of it down here at the moment, it's still something happening in the spirit you can perceive. And if you perceive it, it will require something of you. It's going to require change. So what does it require of this lady? She perceived. So she made room for him in her life. Now, this means there's a lifestyle change of some kind. If you, what do the Christians say? If you want, you do more of the same things, you'll get the same results. So if you just kind of do the level of, of God thing that you're doing right now, you'll have the same sort of growth level and experience with God. But if you want to have something more, you're going to have to pay a price. You're going to have to do more. You're going to have to actually look and ask God, what can I do to make you more welcome in my life? She wanted to make him welcome. You know, the Holy Spirit knows where he's welcome. I, I listened when Christian said, there's something in this place that draws God's attention. Did you hear him say that? That God has been drawn to this place. Now, often the things that draw him are not even a flash preacher. You know what draws him? It's hearts of people that have a heart for the poor, people that will give to orphans, people that will carry Bibles into China, people that will have God's heart and respond to God's heartbeat actually attract God's attention. Often the hidden things, all the money we raised last year to give beyond ourselves, actually in the spirit do huge things. They actually give God's attention. He said for Cornelius when he was a giver, it was like a memorial. It was actually every time God looked at that giving, he was drawn to to that man. And it's like that with us. We've actually drawn God's attention by catching God's heartbeat for some of these things. And they're often unrelated. Often you don't connect them. But I believe that has been a very important part to us catching God's attention. You know, he sees things that we don't see. He sees hearts. He sees hearts that respond to his heart. So um, she made room for him in her life. What did she do? Well, she, she put a bed in there. You know, she wanted God to rest in there. You know, we sing that song, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where's the place that I can dwell? He's looking for a place where he's made welcome, where he can enjoy hanging out with. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to be with you. And he doesn't want you to carry him to places where he'd take flight because he's not welcome in that place. He wants you to live a lifestyle where he can stay with you and rest with you. Because what you're doing in your life is attracting him. Worship attracts him. The Bible says he inhabits praises. You know, when you spend time in his presence and draw near to him. He draws near to you. You know, there's things you can do that draw the presence of God around you. Many things. But uh, that's what she did. She made a place where he wanted to come and rest. She, she put a table there. Table speaks of fellowship. Table speaks of serving. You serve at the tables. Some of you people that had started to serve at the tables. 
You're like that Shunammite woman. She wants, she put a table in her life. She was willing to serve because she knew who she was serving. She wasn't just doing a duty. It wasn't just her turn. I better get there early. She wanted to serve the person that she perceived was the man of God and carrying the presence and power of God. She wanted to be one that would usher in the presence. You know, make it, and, and that's why she served, because she loved him. She loved him so much. And that was no problem to serve. It was a privilege. I want to have a table here in my life. I want to serve. She put a stool. She was willing to, stools where you sit under. You sit under the, the table. You sit under, and she was at a place of learning, at a place of being taught, at a place of receiving instruction and training and kingdom living and stuff like that. And there's a candlestick there. Candlestick always speaks of the Holy Spirit shining light. She used to pray, God, show me. Show me what's in my heart. Show me what you want me to do. You know, she was willing for the Holy Spirit enlightenment to shine on her inner life and, and, and give instructions and revelations. Holy Spirit revelation was happening because she made room for it. You've got to make room for revelation. You know, you've got to position yourself for it. So this is what she did. She, she did a lot of things that positioned herself um, because she, she had that belief in her heart and therefore there was a commitment to that belief. See, if you have a really belief in your heart that God wants to come and increase around your life and use you, then there's action required that goes with that belief. You know, you've got to put some legs to it. It's not just what you think, it's what you do that really counts. So um, this is interesting as you go through the story. She made room for the Lord in her, in her life. And then one day, the Holy Spirit was, I mean, the, God was, uh, the man of God was in there. And um, Gehazi always speaks of the Holy Spirit. And I can just imagine maybe the Holy Spirit and God having, say, a little conversation about Marisha. Boy, she's going good. I can just see she's made room for me in her life. I can just see her taking up that responsibility and doing it with passion and diligence. I can just see this woman that's just so loves me so much she can't keep away from this place. You know what God says? What can we do for her? What can we do for her? You know, he wants to do more than you'd ask or think. He wants to bless you. His heart is to bless you. When he thinks about you, it's all good. All he wants to do is bless you, bless you, bless you. So he called her. And maybe you're just going to sleep and you felt the Holy Spirit say, why don't you come out and have some time with me? <laughs> what do you do? Ah, too late. Going to sleep now. Maybe tomorrow. You know, you'll feel the nudge and the call of the Holy Spirit. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to respond when he talks to you. He wants you to get up and go and have that time with him or listen to him or at least stop and tune into what he wants to say. But fortunately, this woman, she had such a hard attitude towards God. When she heard that call, it says she went and stood before him. Now, that's a good position. When you stand before someone, usually it's because you acknowledge them as maybe a greater person than you, and that you've, it's a sign of respect. She feared God. She reverenced him. And she responded to the call, and she positioned herself, saying, God, you're just such an awesome God. And she stood there, and he spoke to her. He said, what, what do you want me to do for you? Come on, tell me. You know how God wants you to actually come up with things and say specifically what you want? I've heard Pastor Mike say, you don't go to McDonald's and say anything you want. Come on, tell me. What would you like me to do for you? What's in your heart? What are the desires that you really want? You know, that's what he asked. Tell me. Just 
express them. You know, I want to fellowship with you, so I want to know you. Tell me what you like. You know, God created you all different. And it's okay to be you. And he wants to hear your, your likes and your heart and your passion. And, um, and she said, no, it's cool. I've got no heart, no, no problem. I have cell group every week. I go to cell group. I've got a bunch of nice friends hang out with. No problem. That's really her response. Now, there's a good thing and a bad thing at that. One thing, she had no agenda. Some people actually come to God, and they want God like to be like a Father Christmas to them. They come to him because they want him to just give them, give them, give them, give them what they, what they think they need. And um, it's called a hidden agenda. But she actually had no hidden agenda. But she was also quite passive. She said, actually, I'm quite cool. I really have no needs. And I think even as a church, we're in danger of being like this. We've got a great church. We've got a great bunch of friends. The place is quite comfortably full. And it's okay, God, I just love you. Just us, you know, little, us four no more. Us little Christian club is just actually quite nice. I've got my friends. That's okay. But, you know, God actually wants fruit. God wants more. Even if we're complacent, he's actually not happy with that answer. He wants us to start to ask him things. He wants us to reach out and say, God, give me the nations. Give me, give me these visions and dreams. Give me financial breakthrough. Give me those grades I'm believing you for. You know, step out there and name it and declare it and fight for it. Because God wants you to have it. And he actually wants a, the lion roar to come out. He wants you to start to express out of your spirit some of that Holy Ghost stuff that's in there. But sometimes we're not even letting it out. We're actually, it's okay. She's right, mate. Don't, don't worry. I've got my mates. and It's, it's fine. You know, and it was, it was that call. There's obviously a time delay. But uh, she got called again. Again. Come, come, come. Come, come, come. I want to talk to you. So again, she came. I thought it was interesting, this phrase. It's actually the verse I was looking at that um, was on the overhead this morning. This time in verse 15, he called her. And when he called her, she stood in a doorway. She stood in a doorway. God's been talking to us about doorways in this church. When Charlie was here, he said, there's a door and it's just, I need to open. But sometimes there's stuff that keeps it shut. Gossip, negative talk, critical stuff. It's stopping that door from opening, and I want to pour out so much stuff. But just the loose lips and the talking in this place is hindering me from opening that door wide. Oh, that was something you had to listen to. That's something as a church we had to listen to. And I'm the biggest sinner of the lot. Even yesterday I had to go and confess. I said something I should have said. But, you know, it starts with me, you. The thing is, if you do it, put it right. Say, sorry, Lord, help me. Because he wants to grow us. And what you thought was okay is not okay anymore. Because it's time to change. It's time to get a handle on these things. And um, so we've got to be careful of these things. But I love that passage in Revelation 4. We had it this morning. We'll have it again. Because I believe it's what's happening in the spirit. I believe it's something that it's, it's for the church right now. And um, I'll read it again. He says, after this, this is um, John who's entering into the realm of the Spirit, and he looked with the eyes of the Spirit, and he saw a door open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard talking was like a trumpet saying, come up, I've got to show you much more. There's more. And there's a doorway. There's a, 
is, is something at God's opening, and he wants to show us things. There's, like there's a heap of stuff up there he wants to download to us, and he wants us to tune in. He wants us to receive it. Ian did a great um, encounter retreat, and he talked about gateways, talked about doorways in the Spirit, doorways of revelation. You know, he wants revelation to come, things that are in heaven, to become to earth. There's things up there that he wants on earth. We pray it when we pray the Lord's Prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. But it's going to come through the doorway. You've got to see it. And I love what he said this morning. If you see it, you can have it. Because that's how it works in the Spirit. What he reveals to you is yours. But you've got to look and say, God, what do you got for me? Start to dream. Start to look up there. Start to see what he wants to show you. Because he's got a heap of stuff. All he wants you to tune in and to hear what he wants to give you. And that's what he did to this woman. She stood in the doorway. And then she got a word. Oh, I want you to have a son. I want fruit to come out of your life. I've got stuff for you that you haven't even wanted to, you know, go there right now. I mean, he, he said, I want more than what you want for yourself. I've got stuff for you. I'm going to send some of you to the nations. I'm going to use you to lay hands on the sick and see miracles. Some of you have raised the dead. I've got all this stuff for you. But you know, her, her response then was quite interesting. She wasn't like Mary, young Mary, when angel visited Mary and says, you're going to bring forth the Son of God. She was great. She said, be it unto me, Lord, according to your word, use me, I'm here, ready, available. But this woman... This woman had been around a bit longer. Her husband was old. There's no children after a long marriage. I think she'd been through lots of wrestling with God, actually. She probably had hopes and dreams and maybe believed God for a child for 10 years and nothing happened. Maybe she got a bit upset with God. Maybe she was angry with God. Maybe she wasn't willing to talk to God about that, that subject any longer. It was a no-go zone. Isn't it a no-go zone, the one that God wants to touch? Isn't that get you... The stuff that you want to close the door on, we just don't go there anymore, God. It's settled in my heart. No kids. Okay, I'm getting on with life. He said, that's the area I, I want to touch. I want fruit, even if you don't want fruit. Oh, and this is an interesting response because this is what happens right now. Like even to me, I thought that it would say, you could offer to preach. True. Uh, then he said, then I said, but, 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 but. I haven't had much notice. I haven't got time. I'm not as good as him. They should have him. You, know, you think all sorts of arguments and stuff that's in your heart that immediately pops up. And so she said, hey, don't, don't deceive me. Don't, don't tease me. Don't lie to me. She actually didn't have an instant response. Because I believe, even though God might be saying stuff to you in, in Revelation, we've still got heart issues of unresolved baggage that's still alive inside us. And as soon as God's trying to give us a few things, these things sort of manifest a bit. How many have experienced that? Yeah. And she was like that. So I like her because I'm like her too. <laughs> and um, I thought, why is it like this? Why is it that we don't instantly re respond to things that God tells us? Because he's able to do them. Like if there was a a plank across here. And I said to Reuben, you walk across this plank, and it's like about a foot high, give you a hundred bucks. I'm sure he'll do it, no problem. 
a little bit higher, a thousand bucks. He said, sure you do it. Then I put it up between two high buildings right across the main street of Hastings. Walk that. Now, he's just proved he can do it. There's been good rewards for doing it. But now a whole lot of other fears, anxieties, other things that are in your life start to overwhelm the word. Okay? It's like that with us. Sure, you can do it. You know you can do it. But what's coming up is other stuff. And this is the stuff that right now God wants us to actually have a look at. How many feel that God's wanting them to open the closet and have a look at stuff? Yeah? It's horrible, isn't it? You'd rather keep the door shut. <laughs> but this is what God's doing. He wants to show us the stuff because it's really the stuff that's hindering the fulfillment of the vision. Now, I find you can confess things of God. You can confess the power of God works powerfully through me at all times. The power of God, the delivering power of God flows through me. You know? Now, I can be confessing the truth, the word of God, but there's a difference between speaking something that's already established in my heart that I know because I know because I know. I know I'm saved. It actually took me about 10 years being saved to know that, <laughs> but I do know it now. I was actually a pastor's wife and didn't believe I was saved. <laughs> Because the truth was robbed by unbelief. And every now and again, the truth would take root. And then unbelief would come and, and rob me of it. So I was fluctuating for about 10 years, wondering if I was actually saved or not. But anyway, I've got over that now, and I know I'm saved. So praise God for that. <laughs> now, many of you are probably the same. That's established in your heart. You don't doubt about that one. Okay? But what, say, God said, I want you to go and lay hands on that neighbor Pray for her because I want to heal her through your prayers and before you, because of your faith. Now, is that established in your heart? That's when you'll probably have a bit of a, a, a heart stuff contending with the truth. And it's okay to constantly pray, regularly pray. The healing power of God flows through me. By his stripes I'm healed. When I lay hands on the sick, they'll be healed. You confess that. But you confess that and you confess that. And what you're doing, you're actually persuading your heart. You know what? One day your heart will finally be persuaded. And it's okay to have both. You can confess things you know, and you can confess things that you're on the way to having persuaded. Because it's a process. And it's repetition that does it. It's visualizing it. Like, you, like Abraham. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And then he said, look at the stars, look at the sand. And every time you say your name, it's going to be a new name now. It's going to be father of many nations. So he visualized it. He confessed it over and over and over again. And eventually, he embraced that truth. Eventually, it was taken root. Eventually, it was established. Okay? So you've got to know that's okay. Sometimes we're on the way getting stuff settled. But sometimes we can have faith and we can have doubt both there together because the Bible says in Matthew if you have faith and do not doubt then you can shift that mountain <laughs> but you can have faith and you can have doubt and you can actually have it there together you actually know that if you go over the road and pray for that neighbor the power of God could quite easily flow through you because you've had a word from God to do it but you can also have but if, but if, 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 if or I don't know, but scared going on at the same time and if the faith overrides the doubt, you'll, you'll, you'll break through. If the doubt overrides faith, you'll probably stay home and, no, not this time, maybe next time, until the Lord really rattles you around and makes it uncomfortable for you. 
So this is probably the sort of thing she was grappling with. She, she, she heard the word of God. She was in that doorway. She had a, a download from the heavenly realm. She had a, a revelation, but she was still wrestling. And I think that's, that's amazing because that's where we're at. And I think right now, some of you are kind of at that stage, and it's a heart issue because actually it's the heart issues that God wants to, us to see. So I want to sort of help you maybe um, own what's in your heart. Have a look at it. I'll ask you a few questions and see, see if it seems a bit like you or you can answer it. If, um, oh, hit the back. If, if, I, if, if I say to you, do you generally expect good things to happen to you? Is that what it's like for you? Do you generally, when you look, look at life, expect that good things are going to happen to you? Is that your prevailing mindset? Or are you one of these people who keep thinking why it's not going to work or how hard it's going to be? Kind of have a look at yourself. What sort of person are you? You've got that general expectation that good things are going to happen for you because um, God wants good things to happen to you. But actually, it also says in Proverbs seventeen twenty, if you've got a, a crooked heart or a heart that's froward or one of those funny names the Old Testament uses, basically a heart that doesn't think right, you can't even find good because of your heart condition. That God doesn't want to give you good things, but certain heart conditions will actually hinder you from even seeing good if it's there. So it's not that God doesn't want to give it to you. It's all to do with your heart. Because the Bible talks about the heart being like different types of soil. And the seed is the word of God. But it depends on the type of soil, whether something's going to spring forth or not. If your heart is hard, calloused, shut down, won't receive, it's like the seed falling on rocks and nothing springs forth. But if your heart is soft and open and expectant, all the time ready that God's going to use me today. I love it when Charlie said... Change your thinking so every day you go out, Lord, who's the one today that you've got for me to speak to? That's expecting good things, isn't it? You're going out with that mindset. Or you can go out thinking, oh, I never meet anybody that's ready to give their hearts to the Lord. They never seem to come across my path. <laughs> How do you think? Check your heart out. Now, do you base your optimism? If you're generally a pretty positive person, you're going out and you're expecting good things to happen today. Is that because you just got a good positive thinking, you've been trained to think positively? Or is it because you're basing it on the finished work of Jesus? Because there's a difference. There are a lot of positive people out there, a lot of non-Christians that are pretty positive. You talk to them and they're always speaking their dreams and expecting it to happen and they can even be like a good real estate agent. I'm going to sell so many amount of you know, um, housing today and they speak it over their life, they believe it and they go out and they're great achievers. Because they just think with an expectation of, God, of, of, of sales. And it's, it's a Bible principle, actually. But we go beyond that. Because what we say is based on substance. It's based on the finished work of Jesus. And he says, you can come before me unashamed, no guilt, not ringing and cringing and, and feeling that you know, you're not good enough for anything. You come boldly and expect that I want to bless you. I expect that you'll have a divine bill of health in your life, that you'll live vital and healthy. You're expecting blessing and prosperity and good relationships because that's what he's already purchased for you. You're basing it on what he said you can have. And I'd rather base my positive statements 
on what Jesus has already bought for me than just because it's a good thing to think positively. So if you actually go to, well, it's much better if you base it on this truth because you've confessed it and been persuaded in your heart. And now when you say it, it's because God said you can have it. And you finally come to grips with that and agreed with it. Okay. What are the strongest emotions that live in you? I was speaking to a woman yesterday, and I knew the strongest emotion around her was fear and anxiety. You could see it all over her countenance. She was sort of almost quivering and shaking as she spoke. Just a ball of fear and anxiety. <laughs> but what is the strongest emotion that's, um, that lives inside you? Is it rejection? Some people have a real strong root of rejection, and most of the time it's talking to you, and it's like you live life through filtered glasses, and every time you look at something, you're looking at it through rejection. Nobody ever rings me. Nobody would ever want me to come to their party. da 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 because that's how you look at life. A feeling of rejection is a predominant emotion. Maybe you've got a predominant emotion inside you of guilt. I deserve, you know, I've done so many wrong things. You know, I'm not surprised all these bad things are happening to me. I'm not surprised I'm getting sick all the time. You know, I'm not surprised all my relationships bust up and I keep losing. You know, because actually you are living with an emotion of guilt. And you actually believe inside yourself, even if you don't say it, that you deserve to be punished. Some people actually have got that alive in them. You can tell when you talk to them. You know, you can tell what's in their heart. Just listen to them for a few minutes. Because the heart always wants to express itself. And sooner or later they'll start saying things and you start catching what they're saying. So is that what you really believe? <laughs> is that what God says? How come you think that? Especially victim mentality. That's the worst, isn't it? All the time thinking and speaking like they're a victim and somebody else has to come through for them or else they're doomed and gloomed and nothing will go well for them. That's not how we're supposed to live. We don't live dependent on someone else coming through for us. We live on our sources of God as God. And he's not going to hold any good thing from us that we need. We've got to think that way. We're not dependent on our wage check or the, or the benefit. God's the source. So, you know, what is your prevailing emotion? What kind of questions do you ask yourself on a regular basis? Do you, do you keep saying to yourself, you know, how come people treat me this way? Or um, why doesn't everybody, you know, ever call me or ring me up? Or come on, why, 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 why? If you find yourself asking those sort of questions... You're actually asking the wrong sort of questions. <laughs> You're speaking to yourself the wrong way. You're speaking like a victim. What God wants you to do is, how can I get victory over this situation? How does the word of God work for me in this situation? See? But we actually don't know or haven't often really got a hold of just what sort of beliefs are there at the same time as the promises are coming out. And a lot of them... Uh, just overriding and, and stifling the, the promise being fulfilled. And I believe right now God's doing some weeding of hearts. <laughs> I believe he's starting to just get us to have a glimpse at what's inside. And sometimes he's actually got to rack up a bit of a crisis for us to see it. Because often we can contain ourselves and control ourselves and be a nice little Christian until something happens and then it comes out. You, oh, did you hear that? Did you see that? See how you responded then. That's what's inside your heart. Oh. So you've got to watch each other, especially under pressure, because that's how you really get to see. What emotion comes out then? 
what are you saying out of your mouth then? And then actually allow God to um, give his opinion on that. <laughs> because, see, it's, um, it's not dependent on circumstances. It depends on your believing. See, it's... Um, I forgot what I was going to say there. Um, Yeah, we we often think, you know, if the environment was right or if my husband was nice or my mother was good and da-da-da-da, then I'd be right. But that's actually looking at circumstances. But like Daniel, the circumstances were the worst it could possibly be. But what was in his belief was a strong confidence and faith in God. And what he spoke was totally contrary to his circumstances. So it's really your believing that is, is what determines what happens to you. It really is you believing about God and what God's promises are. And, and some of us are still struggling with, um, with other junk, really, other stuff that we've never properly resolved, never identified. And we can actually change our heart beliefs. We can do a work in our hearts and change our heart beliefs. God wants to purify our hearts. He wants to um, transform us. It says it's like a same sort of picture as a, as a butterfly, a, a caterpillar going into a butterfly comes out totally transformed. And that's what the Bible says when we renew our thinking. The Bible says renew your mind, renew your belief system because he wants to transform it. And if you go into that story, it's in noon at a time of harvest. Now, this is a time of harvest. We just haven't seen it all yet, but it is a time of harvest. And it is noon, almost the heat of the battle, the highest, hottest part of the day. And that promise that was birthed started saying, my head, my head, my head. I believe it referred to the belief systems. In the battle, at a time of harvest, the belief system put that boy in a a state where the promise wasn't being fulfilled. And as you go through the story, it wasn't so much that she pursued, pursued, pursued. She eventually had a God encounter. Eventually had a face-on-face, eye-on-eye, hand-on-hand encounter with God. And that's what did a, a real transformation. It actually said the man, and it was more than sending the servant out and just trying to, like Mike was talking this morning about religious behavior. You can't just put something on the face or what's presented to the world and make yourself look good. Because that's not going to cut it. It's what's on the inside that really is going to cut it. And um, he talked about sending the servant, sending a man of God, maybe even a pastor. Often the staff speaks of a pastor. Maybe a pastor tells you, just go and kind of behave differently. Stop your smoking or something. But actually, that's not dealing with the issue. She needed more than that. What was inside her that made her want to have this false addiction? What was, what was the belief system that caused her to be addicted to this thing? You know, it's, it's something deeper. It's deeper, and it takes a God encounter to, to change us. And you notice at the end of the story, when, she had a God, when, when that boy had, a God, had an encounter with a man of God, the eyes, eye to eye, means he saw things with, with, with God's eyes. He saw the whole circumstance through um, a revelation. When we have our eyes and eyes with, with God, it's like this morning he talked about, hey, there's a time of battle, and it looked bad. And then God said, open his eyes. Let him see the angels of God around this place. And oh, then the thing looked different. So it might look really, really bad. But when you look at it from God's perspective, 
hey, there's a whole, whole other way of looking at things. And then the mouth-to-mouth encounter. Yet you have to st- change our speaking. We can't have this negative speaking. It's not, we're not going to allow that anymore. It's a no-go zone now because it's going to rob us of blessing. So we've got to actually have our mouths touched by the, the encounter with God so we start to speak different stuff. We start to speak what God says about it, not our fears, not our anxieties, not our rejections. We actually got to speak what God says until finally it's us. And then the hands, the, act, the hands figure what you do. You do what God puts his hand on. And that means that might some things you put your hand on now, maybe his hand isn't on and you've got to quit. Because sometimes when you run this race, you've got to drop off some things that are heavy weights. Because you want to make room for God in your life, sometimes you've got to create some space. And sometimes you've got to do some eliminating and cutting out of stuff that takes your time so that you can make room for God. But I believe there's a few people here tonight that really want to make room for God in their life. I believe there's some that, I believe there's three people here tonight that you've, you've, you've seen God moving from time to time. Maybe you've been to the services or you've, you just know God, the power of God is, passes by now and again. But you've never actually invited him into your life. You've never actually said, hi, I want to, go deeper than this now. I want to make room for God to be permanently part of my life. Because that's the first thing this woman did. She actually took the step that I want to invite this man to live permanently in my heart. Maybe that's you tonight. You're ready to say, this is the time now. I actually want to invite the Lord to live in my life, be with me permanently. I know it's nice to be touched now and again, to even to see the power of God moving, but I want more. I, I, I believe it's time for me now to invite the Lord into my life and, and let him take residence in my heart. I believe there's three that are ready for that tonight. Why don't you come? Why don't you make this a night where you can just come and I'll lead you through a prayer to invite the Lord to be a habitation, to come and take his residence inside your spirit. What he does is his spirit, comes into your human spirit and he stays there and he puts his light on things in your life he, he abides there he shows you things he teaches you things you actually become a child of God you come deeper that's a wonderful thing to have a permanent have God permanently with you you know in the Old Testament it wasn't like that the Spirit of God came on people from time to time and they had an experience of God or were moved by God but since the cross Since Jesus made the way now for us to uh, have a relationship with God, we can actually bridge that whole gap and have the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the powerful living Spirit of God taking residence inside us. What an amazing thing to have, the Spirit of God living within us. Oh, this is what you're ready for. Why don't you... Come tonight. I just actually would like to just, um, give another area that people might like prayer for. And then as we sing a song, I want you to come if you're ready to respond to God. I believe there's still others that right now you're aware that God has got things for you. you you've been in the atmosphere of this church and you're starting to hear and starting to lay hold of some of the promises of God. You're actually starting to believe that God has got good things for your life. He's got destiny for you. He's got jobs for you to do. He's got work for you to do. He wants to co-labor with you and achieve great things. You're not just an accident. You're here for a purpose. 
And, and really, it's like you, you attach your lifestyle to the local church. For her to invite the man of God into her home, it was like you're opening up your lifestyle and becoming attached and, and integral with the local church. And you're starting to serve. You're starting to become um, finding your destiny because really your destiny is found as you function in the local church. That's how we find our place of serving. That's how we grow in God. And that's part of it. But you, you're kind of sensing that pull for more, for greatness, for enlargement. But there's still some resonant stuff there. Maybe there's disappointments from the past. Maybe there's stuff that you've made an inner vow. Ah, I don't believe that. I don't believe it's for me. It's for everybody else. They can all have God encounters and visions, but no, never does it for me. I asked for it 10 years ago and it never happened. So I just come to the conclusion, God doesn't want to use me or bless me or to give me good things. Well, maybe it's, I think a lot of it is either the rejection route is very powerful. You, you, you just get totally swamped with feelings of, of rejection and it, and it overrides the promise. Or maybe it's um, guilt. You still haven't got rid of your guilt because you haven't either confessed your sins and come to God and acknowledged his provision for you or you've done that and you haven't been persuaded in your heart that really you have a standing with God and you don't have to stand there ashamed and full of guilt. You haven't actually allowed that truth to really be established so it's alive in you and you don't have to question it anymore. You're still grappling with it. Sometimes you believe it and then sometimes it gets robbed from you. Because um, the only one that accuses you now is the enemy. And he loves to accuse you. He's given that name, the accuser of the brethren. Constantly telling you how bad you are. Pointing out all your faults. And that bombards us. But we've got to be so established that I have a relationship with God and all my sins have been taken care of. I don't deserve, I did deserve to be punished, but Jesus took the punishment. He took it for me and now I'm free of the fear of punishment. But that guilt can be a thing that can hang around for a long time. And if you can just acknowledge it tonight, just say, yep, that really is me. I'm going to own that tonight because I'm going to start to do a war on that. I'm going to start to confess and believe and wrap myself around truths in God until I've got victory over that one. And uh, fear and anxiety, just riddled with fear. Want to do lots of things for God, but you're about to do it and fear comes and robs you. And, uh, and I think those are the, or just unbelief. Basically, you know what God says is true, but for you, a spirit of unbelief is so strong around you that you just... You just can't hang on to it. You just can't make it your own. You're actually quite happy for other people to, well, you see other people doing it, but it's unbelief, a spirit of unbelief that's stopping you from joining your heart to the truth of God. It's like a heart that's hardened, and that thing just can't penetrate. It just doesn't enter. It's walled off by a spirit of unbelief. But you know those things can be taken out of your heart? Unbelief can be routed out, replaced with faith. Fears can go. They don't belong to us. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. It doesn't belong to us. As Brian said, you're not going to have any portion in me any longer, devil. It's time you're out because you're robbing me of, of, of the vision that God has for me. Guilt. Constantly feeling that I'm just second-rate citizen, not good enough. That doesn't belong to you. Otherwise, why the cross? Why would Jesus die on the cross and take your sins and, and stand in your place and do all that and you go around still believing that you deserve to be punished? 
something you haven't laid hold of and received and embraced. And I believe it's time to, to really examine our heart and get rid of this garbage. Because if we don't, we can't move on in, into enlargement. And yet there's a passion there. There's a desire there. There's a certain movement. But there's struggle. Don't deceive me, God. I don't know whether I really agree with you over this one, but ah, it's still alive. Okay? So we're going to sing a song that I, I, I love some people, first of all. So let's all stand up, shall we? It's great to stand up and, um, and then don't feel too conspicuous. If you just want to slip to the front now and say, yep, I'm going to make room for God in my life. I am going to invite the Spirit of the living God to take residence in me. I'm not having visitations. I'm not having just little touches, watching thing, everybody else being touched. I am at the stage now where I am going to invite the Spirit of God to make a permanent dwelling place in my life. Wow, what a great thing to go home from church with the Spirit of the living God permanently in your spirit. Come on, there's two more. There's two more tonight. It's time for you. Just like that woman knew it was time. There was a time. There was a time when she sensed that God was doing something. This is the time. This is the time to make a decision. This is the time to put action to your belief. This is the time to do something, and it requires something of us. There is a price to pay. There is a responding and saying, God, I've tried my own way for too long, and it's not cutting it. Now is the time I'm going to invite you into my life. Come on now, there's two more tonight. I really believe there's three tonight that are going to open their hearts and make a habitation for God. Come on. Come on. This is the most wonderful experience of your life. When the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us, He brings the love of God. He brings the presence of God. He brings the peace of God. You're a child of God. And he's a loving father. Up until that point, you'll see God as a judge. You'll see as a God that's all ready to, to expose your sin and condemn you. But once you've come and given your heart to Jesus, he's a loving father. He loves you. He encourages you. He calls you forth. He says, I've got good things for you.